0: 3 verse 1 to 16 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 to 16 the saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer he desires a noble task therefore an overseer must be above reproach the husband of one wife sober-minded self controlled respectable hospitable able to teach not a drunkard not violent but gentle into a snare of the devil. Verse eight, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. They wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 14, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave. In the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This is the word of God.
1: Thank for reading scripture to us. Happy <laughs> Okay, stops there. Let's go to God in prayer and pray that He will change our hearts and then give us the desires of our hearts. Come, let's pray together. Dear Father, we thank You for Your Word that was just read and we pray that You would uh, mold and shape our hearts to love You more. Father, change us, that we would follow You, that we would glorify You with our lives. Give us ears to hear. Give us hands and feet that are quick to do Your will. Uh, write Your Word upon our hearts, we ask. In Jesus' name, Amen. pastor wanted must be visionary leader must be entrepreneurial must possess a dynamic personality must be a go-getter and get things done you know i saw these criteria in church advertisements for pastors and i never felt so unqualified for ministry before now, you know, when we come to churches looking for leaders, I think some, sometimes it feels as if churches are looking for uh, CEOs rather than shepherds. Now, I once spoke to a Japanese pastor uh, of a church in Tokyo, and I asked him, you know, so uh, Kenichi, what, what, were some of, what are some of the biggest challenges facing uh, the Japanese churches you know in the area? And Kenichi, Kenichi replied to me, he said, uh, Leadership. Oh, leadership. You know, what do you mean, leadership? And he said, Japanese churches, you know, they, they tend to choose leaders who are successful uh, according to Japanese culture. Uh, not so much leaders who are actually biblically qualified. And I think Kenichi's uh, insight, you know, it's, it's not unique to Japan. I think churches all over the world struggle with finding good leadership. And oftentimes, church leadership can end up looking more like the world than what Scripture says it should be. You know, and, and the leaders we choose often reflect what we aspire to. You know, the leaders we choose often reflect what we want in our hearts, and, and so we choose people who we think can make us more like what we want to be. In, in the Old Testament, Israel wanted to be like the nations. So what did Israel do? They, they wanted a king who would rule them just like the nations. Now, God's people usually end up looking like their leaders. Now, this was a problem for the church in Ephesus as well that uh, Paul is writing to in this letter to 1 Timothy. What what was happening in the church there was that there were leaders and their beliefs and their behaviours were not according to God's word. And and because of what they were doing, because of what they were believing, they were making the church look more like the world than the people of God. So so Paul has to step in and address this problem with the leadership in 1 Timothy. And so he writes this chapter for us that uh, Ravi just read for us in 1 Timothy 3. Uh, Paul writes this chapter to kind of reshape the way we think about leaders and leadership in the church. Now, a bit of background to the way the New Testament thinks about church leadership. The New Testament speaks of two leadership officers in the church, elders and deacons. So New Testament churches were led by elders, uh, not by just a single elder, but actually by a team of elders, and this team of elders would share responsibility to shepherd the church, and deacons would help the elders uh, look after the practical needs of the church so that the elders can focus on the ministry of the word and prayer. So this is how a, a typical New Testament church looks like, elders and deacons. You know, we commonly use the the term pastor to refer to, you know, people like me, right? Like full-time workers. We're we're called pastors. And then we normally use the word elders to refer to lay elders. Uh, But but the New Testament actually doesn't use the terms in that way. The the New Testament uses pastor, elder, and overseer interchangeably. They actually all refer to the same office. You know, the the reason is because... uh, if you look at different passages of scripture, every time an elder is mentioned, uh, it, it's Paul uses the word overseer interchangeably with the term elder. So for example, uh, here in 1 Timothy itself, you know, Paul actually uses, doesn't use the term elder in 1 Timothy 3. If you look at it really closely, he doesn't mention elders at all. He talks about overseers. And then in the rest of 1 Timothy, Paul uses uh, the term elders. So it's safe to assume that Paul is thinking about the same leadership office, overseer, elder. Same office. In another passage, in, in Titus 1, you know, there's a similar passage in Titus 1 where, where Paul also lists the qualifications for leaders in the church. And he talks about uh, elders in Titus 1 verse 5. You know, he tells Titus, appoint elders in Crete. Then just two verses away, in verse 7, he talks about the, the same group of leaders as overseers. Same leadership office. Okay, another passage. Acts 20 you know, if, if, you know we just preached through Acts 20 last year. So in Acts 20, Paul calls the elders of the Ephesian church to him to kind of brief them on his, what, what could be his final visit with them before he leaves. He calls all the elders to himself in Acts 20. And then in verse 27, verse 28, Paul says to these elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to pastor, the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. You know, another passage, 1 Peter 5, same thing, you know, elders, overseers, pastors. Actually, all, they all refer to the same group of leaders, the, the same group of men. So wh- wh- why, why does the New Testament use these three terms to talk about one office of leadership? You know, why pastor, elder and overseer? Why three terms? I think it's probably because the New Testament is emphasizing different aspects of leadership in the church. This, this one office has different aspects to that one office. Elder, the word elder emphasizes spiritual maturity. Pastor is actually used more as a verb, as an action than a noun. So pastor actually describes the work that an elder should do, which is to shepherd, to pastor. The people of God and overseer refers to the responsibility and authority of that office you know the authority to lead and see to the affairs of the church elders pastors overseer they're all the same office so in in the rest of the sermon i'm just going to talk about elders but you know i hope that we understand that elders actually refers to myself pastor refers to overseers they're all the same office so in the church we have elders and we have deacons, and both fulfill different roles, but they're equally important to the health of the church. And this is why in this passage, Paul lists a whole list of qualifications for both elders as well as deacons. And when we compare these two lists, elders and deacons, we actually find a lot of overlap. These two groups of leaders are actually supposed to be very similar in terms of their qualifications. And when we look at these qualifications, they're actually not a job description. You know, if you look through these qualifications, uh, you, you don't find any mention of actually what they do. Instead, these, these qualifications focus on who they should be, you know, the, the kind of people, the kind of character they should have as elders and deacons, not so much the kind of work that they will do. And if you, again, if you look at these qualities, you, you find that they're actually remarkably unremarkable. Right? You look at these qualities, you know, they're not, they're not special. Uh, because, you know, why, why are they unremarkable? Because all of us, all of us, you know, if, if we say that we follow Jesus, all of us, whether we're leaders or not, are to pursue these same qualities in our lives. You know, these qualities are for all of us who want to become more like Jesus. So, you know, in a, in a sermon like this, you know, some of you might be tempted to kind of switch off, say, okay, this is about you know, qualifications for leadership, I'm not a leader, I don't intend ever to be one, so it doesn't apply to me. You no, know, that's not true. Because these qualifications are for all of us as Christians who want to become more like Jesus. So in a sense, Paul is saying to us, you know, our leaders should look like this. Why? Because God's people should look like this as well. And, and they appoint leaders to lead them there. To, to lead them towards becoming more and more like Christ. You know, the, the world we live in often thinks about leadership as a matter of skills. Or if you're more cynical, you think about leadership as a matter of who you know to get you to a position of leadership. Therefore, in the world, the one who is the most educated, the one who is the most competent, the one who is the most successful, tends to be chosen as leader or maybe the one who is the most popular. But we need to kind of remember the Old Testament story of David, right? You You remember when God tells Samuel to anoint a new king. What does he tell Samuel? The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And and that's how God's people should be thinking about how we choose our leaders as well. You know, God isn't just concerned about what we do and how well we do something. God God is not just concerned about how well I preach, but, but God is concerned about my heart. You know, who, who am I really? What's my heart like before Him? Now, God, God cares about the kind of man I really am before Him. Now, a person's conviction and character must come before his, his or her competence. Now, church leadership is fundamentally about following Jesus. It's about following Jesus and helping others to follow Jesus as well, to become more and more like Him. No, church leadership is not about keeping people happy and giving them what they want, but church leadership is actually about giving people true joy. You know, not, not a happiness that is conditional on what they want, what satisfies them in the moment, but church leadership promises true joy in Christ. And that's what leadership offers to God's people, true joy in Christ. Like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, no, I work with you for your joy. And that's what church leadership should do for God's people, to pursue joy in Christ together. So, so what kind of qualities should elders and deacons have? So in this passage, I'm going to sort of group these qualities into four headings. Number one, faithful in pursuing Christ. That's the first quality they should have, faithful in pursuing Christ. So both elders and deacons are to be respectable and dignified, and others should look up to them. Now this is important because they are meant to be examples for the church to follow. Sure, you know, not, not perfect examples, not sinless examples. No, elders and deacons, we still struggle with sin. But elders and deacons are meant to be sincere and faithful examples of what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, that's what it means to be respectable. So other people will look to them and say, hey, I want to see a, a picture of what following Jesus looks like. Where do I find this picture? I, I look to my leaders who, who give me a faithful picture of what it means to know Jesus and to follow Him. And, and I, I should be encouraged by my leaders that I want to, to pattern my life after theirs. That's what it means to be respectable and dignified. You know, this, this kind of gets to the nature of the Christian life. You, know, you ever thought about what the Christian life is like? The Christian life is, is, is not something that can only be taught, right? You know, when, we th- when, we, when we think about how we live the Christian life, it's not enough to just receive sort of intellectual teaching about the faith. The Christian life is caught, not just taught. Now, God wants us to learn not just by hearing, but by seeing as well. What do I mean? We need the church around us in order to grow as a Christian. Why? Because doing life together in community like this actually enables us to observe and learn from one another. And so much of our growth as a Christian is dependent on observing and learning from one another. You know, Paul himself saw his life as an example of someone saved through God's mercy and patience. Chapter 1, verse 16. He calls Timothy to be an example of faith, uh, no, sorry, of in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. He says, you know, be an example of what it means to follow Christ. You know, the, the book of Hebrews exhorts all of us Christians. You know, it says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. And then it goes on to say, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. So so the the people we choose to be leaders, our leaders, should be those whom we want to imitate. We we should be able to say, hey, I want to follow you because you follow Jesus. So those are the kinds of leaders that that Paul is thinking thinking about in this chapter. It's critical for leaders to be godly and spiritually mature because The church is meant to look like its leaders. So it's not enough for church leaders to be competent. We're not merely looking for people who can get the job done, but we're actually looking for people whose lives are worth emulating. So Elders and deacons shouldn't be new Christians. Paul says in this chapter that an elder must not be a recent convert. Uh, Putting such a person in leadership could lead to pride. You know, likewise he says that deacons should be tested first. You know, tested in, in how they've shown faithfulness and perseverance in, in living as a Christian. Now, this, this doesn't mean that this doesn't necessarily mean that an elder or a deacon must be an older person. You know, Timothy, after all, was a young man, you know, probably in his 30s. I mean, that's why Paul has to say, don't despise Timothy for his youth. You know, he was a younger man. Now, Jesus himself began his ministry at the age of 30. Now, what matters for Paul in this chapter is not age per se, but is spiritual maturity. Now, yeah, it's true that oftentimes age and spiritual maturity go together, but not always. What matters is someone who is mature, spiritually mature, who follows Jesus. So as a church, we should be on the lookout for people who are spiritually mature, people whose lives are worth following, whether they are younger or older. We should be looking to develop them for leadership in the church. Now, this this is critical for good leadership succession. Leadership leadership succession is is a hot topic nowadays, right? I mean, the, the government is talking about it all the time, finding the next generation of leaders. As a church, we also need to think seriously about leadership succession. How do we find godly men and women who can step in after we have passed from the scene, who can continue the good work of the gospel that earlier generations have begun? every, Every generation of leaders has the duty to disciple the next generation of leaders. Every elder, every deacon, Every ministry leader and CG leader should be intentionally discipling, growing, and equipping at least one other person to become a leader as well. Now, this is the kind of people that we're looking out for, right? spiritually mature people whom we can entrust leadership to. You know, Paul tells Timothy to plan for succession. If you look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says to Timothy, you know, what you have heard from me In the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. If you look at that verse, it's a very interesting verse, 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. Paul speaks about four generations of leaders being developed, four. Paul disciples Timothy. Timothy entrusts the gospel to faithful men. Faithful men teach others also. I mean, that, that's the kind of leadership development that, that Scripture is thinking about. Now, How can I, as, as a pastor, find faithful men whom I can entrust the gospel to, who can carry on the work of the gospel long after I've passed from the scene? So elders and deacons demonstrate their godliness and spiritual maturity by being sober-minded, self-controlled, and faithful in all things. To be sober-minded means to be thoughtful and clear-headed about following Jesus. You know, it's not someone who, who plays fast and loose with the faith, but someone who is clear about what it means to know Jesus and to follow Him. And To be self-controlled simply means to be personally disciplined for the sake of godliness. You know, this person is continually turning away from sin in his life, continually turning back to Jesus in trust and obedience. And then Paul goes on to mention two specific areas of self-control, where the leaders are to show self-control. One is the area of alcohol, and the other is the area of money. So he says elders and deacons must show self-control and and not be drunkards or addicted to much wine. And they must must show self-control in money as well. They're not to be lovers of money, not greedy for dishonest gain. You know, maybe this is a particularly challenging Thing in Singapore as well, you know, not being greedy or loving money. You know, in 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 Singapore culture, we we kind of have made gr- being greedy a respectable thing. And, you know, we we simply call being greedy other things. You know, we call greedy things like uh, upgrading, like uh, pursuing the Singapore dream, uh, like I'm providing for my family. You know, so I think we've dressed up being greedy. But what, what, what Scripture tells us is that we need leaders who are not lovers of money, who are not in it for themselves, but they're in it for the glory of God and for the good of His church. The church leaders are called to love God and not the world. You know, and and if, we, if we have leaders who are not greedy, we can also, that also helps the church to be a good steward of its resources. You know, leaders who are not greedy, will steward the church's resources and use the church resources generously for the work of the gospel. Instead of hoarding what we have as a church, whether our people or our building or our finances, a church who is not greedy is a church that spends itself gladly for the sake of the gospel. And these are the kinds of men and women that Paul wants us to have in place. As leaders of the church, men and women who will be willing to spend themselves and, and, and encourage God's people to spend themselves for the sake of the gospel. Second criteria, faithful to God's truth. Now, elders and deacons must be faithful to God's truth. Uh, Paul says in this text that an elder must be able to teach, able to teach. And this is not primarily about just being a good public speaker. Paul is not thinking about someone who is just a good communicator. Because in a similar passage in Titus, Paul says an elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Titus 1 verse 9. So when Paul thinks about being able to teach, what Paul has in mind what scripture has in mind is, is someone who knows and believes God's truth. Now, it's someone who has the convictional courage, uh, the, 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 the strength in conviction to hold firm to God's Word. Even, no, maybe not even, but especially in the face of opposition. Someone who's able to hold to God's truth especially when he's unpopular. Especially when others are turning away from God's truth. So basically, Paul says an, an elder should not be a yes man. An, an elder should not be a people pleaser. And an, el- an elder should not be someone who's tossed to and fro on, by winds of doctrine, by whatever the popular opinion says. An, an elder's ministry is prophetic in nature. He, he's called to faithfully, lovingly speak forth the Word of God, you know, both in good times as well as in bad times. and An elder is someone who has that convictional courage to say difficult things because they're true, because they're true according to God's Word. and An elder must have that convictional courage to speak inconvenient truth because he fears God more than he fears man. That's what it means to be able to teach. Now, to be able to teach also refers to the ability to faithfully communicate and apply the truth of scripture with clarity, with coherence, with fruitfulness. And, and teaching happens in different ways in the church. So teaching doesn't just happen here on a Sunday from the pulpit. Now, some elders might teach through like what I'm doing now, preaching. Now, other elders might teach through teaching in a quick class, for example. Other elders might teach through leading a, a CG, one-on-one discipleship, just meeting up with people in the body one-on-one, just reading the Bible with them. Some elders might also teach through counseling, speaking to members who are hurting, you know, encouraging people, healing the broken-hearted, giving strength to those who need encouragement. So different elders teach in different ways, in the life of a church, but all elders should be able. To teach, because collectively, as, as an elders, as elders together, we are collectively responsible for ensuring that God's word is faithfully taught in the church. That's the role of elders in the church. Deacons, likewise, Paul says, are to be sound in the faith. Paul says they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, verse 9. Now, this mystery refers to the gospel which was once hidden in ages past but now has been revealed through the life death and resurrection of Jesus Christ so so deacons must be uh, those who hold to the gospel who who believe the gospel and whose lives are transformed by that same gospel that's what deacons should be but unlike the elders deacons do not to be need to be able to teach. I think that's the one uh, clear distinction between elders and deacons in this passage. Elders are to be able to teach. Deacons do not have to be able to teach. Why? Because the elders are responsible for ensuring that God's truth is faithfully taught. The deacons help the elders by caring for the material and physical needs of the church. Now, now this, is no, this is an important task as well for the mission of the church. It doesn't mean that deacons are sort of inferior to elders in any way. We just do different things. But both the elders and deacons together are really responsible for the church's mission, to see that the gospel continues to go out from this place. Now if, you, if, you, if you look back to the book of Acts again, you know, Acts chapter 6, you know, the early church was facing a difficult situation in Acts chapter 6. Right, they, the, the church had two groups of, of people, uh, the, the Hebrew-speaking Jews as well as the Greek-speaking Jews, you know, two language groups in one church. So what happened was that the, the Greek-speaking widows, they were getting neglected in the food distribution. You know, the, the Hebrew-speaking Jews probably had their own social networks, and so they were able to distribute food within their own, their own social network of friendships but they were leaving out the Greek-speaking widows. The Greek-speaking widows were being kind of overlooked as they were distributing food to those in need. So, so these Greek-speaking Jews, they come to the apostles and they say, look, we have a problem. You know, our widows are not getting provided for. You know, th- this is a serious issue in the life of the early church because this potentially could lead to quite a, you know, if you think about it, could lead to quite a nasty church split. You know, you have a split between the Hebrew-speaking Jews and the Greek-speaking Jews. This might have been a pretty disastrous situation in the life of the early church. So what did the apostles do? Do they, they drop the, the preaching of the gospel and the teaching of the word and, and go kind of help the, the Greek-speaking Jews and their widows? I mean, you, you can understand if they do something like that because it's such a serious situation. But actually, they don't. Instead, what the apostles, what the, what the apostles did was to call the church together, so Greek and Hebrew-speaking all together, And they encourage the church, hey, go find seven men or go find men among yourselves who are qualified to serve the church. So they find seven men and these men serve the Greek-speaking widows by ensuring that they get food in the distribution. And this this is what the Apostle says, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So they appoint these seven men. They assist the elders, they care for the widows who are Greek speaking, and they ensure that the church remains united for the work of the gospel. And immediately after that, you know, listen to what Acts says, Acts 6 verse 7, as a result, the, the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. You know, it's a wonderful picture in Acts 6 of these you know, apostles or, or you know, probably sort of reflecting elders' ministry and, and these seven men who were reflecting what deacon ministry should look like. This is a wonderful pattern of elders and deacons working together And as a result, the gospel grows. The word goes out and people become Christians. So Acts 6 kind of lays down the pattern for how elders and deacons should work together. Deacon literally means servant, but there's nothing inferior about the role of a deacon. In fact, all of us are called to be servants and to follow Jesus, our servant king. You know, deacons who serve well reflect the, servant-minded of Christ, the servant-mindedness of Christ. Deacons show us what it means to serve as Christ served us. Now, deacons are like Christ-like shock absorbers in the church. You know, shock, you know you, like if you drive a car, you have suspension on the car, what does a suspension do? They, obs- they absorb shocks as your car goes over rough terrain. Deacons are like that in the life of a church. Deacons are like shock absorbers that that help the church absorb, cushion the church from bumps in times of difficulty and and enable the work to continue to go forth, the work of the gospel to go forth. Deacons help the church to stay united for the sake of the gospel. That's the pattern of deacon ministry that we have in Acts chapter 6. And I have a friend who used to serve as a deacon in in a previous church. I have a friend who used to serve as a deacon for Car Park. So we had a deacon for a car park in the previous church. You know, you think deacon of car park, well, that sounds very mundane, right? Uh, but, but he played a really important role because what was happening in the church, the car park was getting really full. Members were beginning to get upset with one another because they couldn't find parking. And, and they were kind of blocking one another in and getting one another upset because they couldn't get out when they needed to. So, so the elders very wisely said, okay, we need a deacon for a car park. Why? Not because we just care about parking but because parking is a potential source of disunity in the life of the church. So my friend, as Deacon of Car Park, he ensured that the parking was orderly, not, again, not, not simply because he cared about parking, but because orderly parking helps the church to stay united for the sake of the gospel. So, so that's the role of deacons in the church, really, really important for the unity of the church. Okay, third criteria, faithful in the family. So Paul says elders and deacons should be uh, faithful in the family. He, he, uses that, he uses that term, husband of one wife. Husband of one wife. It, it literally means one woman man, you know, to be a one woman man. So it means a man who is faithful to one wife, one woman. You know, this, so this, this term, husband of one wife, doesn't mean that Elders must be married. doesn't mean that. Uh, It doesn't mean that elders cannot be married before. I don't think it necessarily excludes someone who has been married before. Uh, But it does mean that someone who is married is faithful to his spouse. Absolutely faithful to his spouse. What about someone who is not married? (laughs) Again, a a, a single person can serve as an elder or as a deacon. So being a one-woman man as a single simply means that this single is sexually pure and he's not promiscuous in his relationships. He's not a serial dater, just dating a number of women and kind of leaving them after that. But No, he's, he's faithful in whatever relationships God has entrusted to him. So that's what it means to be a one-woman man, someone who is faithful to, uh, to the opposite sex. And Paul goes on to talk about faithfulness in the family as managing the family well. Elders and deacons are to manage their own households well. So they're not absentee parents, but they're personally involved in training and teaching their own children. And elders' children must be submissive, which which means that they respect His loving, fatherly authority in their lives. So, So they are loving fathers to their children. So, so an elder is someone who doesn't just put food on the table, but an elder is someone who practices loving servant leadership in the home. He, he's, he's shepherding his family to love God and to love others. That's what it means to manage his household well. You know, this tells us that a leader's private life and public ministry are not meant to be separated. We we cannot separate how a person is in the privacy of their home from how they actually function in the public life of the church. God cares about who we really are. God cares about how we treat our spouses and children, even when no one else is looking. God cares about how we spend our lives in our living rooms, in our bedrooms. God cares about how we relate to members of the opposite sex. Paul says if someone doesn't care for his or her own family, then they can't be trusted to care for God's family, the church. So, you know, when we think about doing ministry, you know, serving our families and doing ministry shouldn't be two separate things, right? So, you, know, some, you know, sometimes we think about ministry as just what we do in church, and then family's family. But no, I think what scripture encourages us to think about is, my ministry begins in my family. And if I'm not doing ministry in my family, for my family, to my family, then I have no business doing ministry in the church. I mean, that's, that's, what, that's how Paul thinks about, or that's how scripture thinks about leadership. So, so we need to be giving ourselves for the good of our families, for, for the discipleship of our families, if we are to be considered leaders of God's family the church. You know, before I became a pastor, I had a good conversation with one of my former pastors, Michael. So I sat down with Michael. You know, Michael has five children, I believe. Yeah, so I sat down with Michael and just had a chat with him. So Michael, you know, I'm I'm going to become a pastor soon. Can you give me some good advice about how I should think about being a pastor and being a father? Because that was around the time Zachary was born. So Michael told me, and, and I still remember this, you know, after all these years, this was more than 10 years ago, oh, sorry, this was about 7 years ago, I still remember what Michael told me. He said, Eugene, you, you mustn't make your children feel as if they have to choose between you and the church. Or, you know, you, you mustn't make your children feel as if you are choosing between them and the church. You know, instead, you, you need to help your children love the church. And, and you help them love the church by loving them and by helping them to integrate their lives into the life of the church so that they also get to know people in the church, so they are also cared for by the church. So he said, Eugene, you don't want to think about ministry as sort of beginning when you step out of your front door, but rather ministry begins in the home and then it kind of overflows from your home out into the life of the church. I think that's, that's what Paul is thinking about when he says, you know, manage your own household well. So that's men, he's really calling us to be faithful in the family. He's calling us men to love our wives if we're married. As Christ has self-sacrificially loved us, God is calling us men to love and nurture our children, to disciple them, to be actively involved in helping them to follow Jesus. To, to model for them what godly fatherhood and manhood looks like. God is calling us to not provoke our children to anger by our absence or by our apathy, but He's calling us to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I think that's the kind of men God wants to serve as elders in His church. What about women? Can, can women serve as deacons? Can women serve as deacons? So last week, we we heard about how eldership is for men because they're meant to teach and exercise authority. So the role of elders is is for men. But what about deacons? Can women serve as deacons? Uh, I believe they can. Look at verse 11. In verse 11, our Bibles tend to translate it, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderous, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. But I think a better translation of verse 11 is actually women. Women, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderous, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Why do I say that? Because it seems a bit odd if Paul thinks about elders, doesn't mention their wives, but he he talks about deacons and then mentions their wives. So if Paul is really thinking about the wives of deacons, why doesn't he have similar criteria for the wives of elders? So so commentators have said that Paul is probably not thinking about the wives of deacons. Instead, the word there can be translated women. So Paul is thinking about women who serve as deacons. Women, likewise, verse 11, should be all these things, like the male deacons. So so Paul is kind of saying women can serve as deacons as well. Do we have uh, an example of this in other parts of Scripture? Yes, we do. In, in Romans 16, Phoebe, uh, clearly a woman, Phoebe is called uh, a servant or deacon of the church at St. So, so Phoebe was someone who served as a deacon or a deaconess, if you prefer, in the church, at the church of the church of St. Crier. So, so this is what it looks like. Elders, men serve as elders. Both men and women can serve as deacons in the life of the church. Fourth criteria, faithful in relationships. Faithful in relationships. So elders and deacons are faithful in relationships, both inside the church as well as outside the church. So elders should relate well to others by being gentle and not quarrelsome. They are to disciple and teach with kindness and patience. not, Not to win arguments, not to defend their own pride, but they, they're seeking to nurture someone in Christ. Now, Paul encourages elders to be hospitable, which means that elders have a heart for others. You know, that's, that's what it means to be hospitable. It doesn't mean to have a nice home, invite people to your home all the time. Well, it could be that, but I think it really refers to elders having a heart for other, for others, both in the church and outside. So an elder who's hospitable is someone who invites others into his own life. Now, why, why is being hospitable so important for an elder? I think it's because of the nature of the work of an elder. Because if you're called to be an example for others to follow, then you need to be a very visible example for others to follow. That means you need to be willing to open your life to others. You need to be willing to invite others into your life so that they can observe and, and see how you live, and, and begin to pattern their life after yours as you follow Jesus. So I think that's what it means to be hospitable. It means to, live, it means to live an open life before others so that others can see how you live and be encouraged to follow your example. So an elder is someone who faithfully initiates relationships. An elder is someone who builds discipling relationships with other men in the church. An elder is someone who's always looking to, in, to invite people into his life so that he can encourage them towards Christ likeness. Paul says an elder also needs to be above reproach and well thought of by outsiders. So, an elder is someone who, whose neighbors, whose friends, whose colleagues, and business partners uh, are not surprised or, or scandalized if they, if, if they find out that he's serving as a church elder. An elder is someone who has a good reputation with outsiders. You know, that, that's a really good test, right? You know, sometimes I'm a bit challenged by that. Like if I ask my neighbour, you know, hey, I'm an elder, will they really look at me with surprise? They say, wow, you know, didn't think, didn't, didn't think that about you. <laughs> so an elder is someone who has a good reputation with outsiders. So it's not surprising to this person's colleagues and friends if they find out that he's serving the church as an elder. Another way church leaders show faithfulness in relationships is by guarding what they say. You know, nowadays, guarding what we say includes what we write in our emails and what we post on social media as well. And Paul says deacons are not to be double-tongued. You know, not to be double-tongued means to, you know, we're not saying one thing and doing another or we're not saying one thing to someone and saying something else to someone else. You know, we are speaking with integrity, with truthfulness, not double tongue. Why? Because deacons help to protect and promote the unity of the church. And, and what deacons say either helps or hinders the unity of the church. So, so, so deacons are to speak wise and loving words, to, to bring people together. That's really the work of a deacon. So they shouldn't be slanderers or gossips in the church. So these are the key qualifications for biblical leaders. And again, you know, these qualifications are not just for leaders, but really they're for all of us. All of us who desire to follow Jesus, these are qualifications for all of us to aspire to as we seek to become more like Christ. But why do we need godly elders and deacons? Why is it so important to have godly elders and deacons? Two reasons. It's because of who the church is. It's because of who we are. Paul says we are God's family, the assembly of the living God, a pillar and foundation of God's truth. Our our mission is to glorify God by reflecting His character, proclaiming His gospel. So we're not supposed to look like the world by adopting worldly standards of leadership. Our calling is to listen to God's word so that we look more and more like the God who has saved us. Godly leaders help us to fulfill our mission and our calling. The second reason, we need godly elders and deacons because of who the church confesses. We confess Christ. Jesus is the mystery of godliness, now revealed through his life, death, resurrection and ascension in glory, as Paul writes about in verse 16. Jesus reveals God to us and His life shows us what godliness looks like. In fact, Jesus makes godliness possible for us by dying on the cross in our place, bearing God's judgement for our sins so that we can be forgiven. And Jesus rose from the dead in victory so that we can receive new life and be godly. Jesus is the one who gives godly leaders to the church and the church's leaders must exalt Christ by their lives and their teaching. The leaders of the church must be examples of the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that others are attracted to Christ and others desire to know Jesus as well. Brothers and sisters, church leadership is a good gift from God I think that's why Paul says what he says in verse 1. If anyone aspires to the office of an elder, he desires a noble task, literally a beautiful work. God's people need faithful undershepherds who will care for their souls and lead them to green pastures. Now, Jesus was really concerned when he looked at the crowds and saw them as sheep without a shepherd. That the health and well-being of God's church depends on godly elders and deacons. I think a word of encouragement to us, we need to not foster a culture of criticism and complaining. You know, having a culture of criticism and complaining, especially against the leaders, it discourages godly men and women to lead. You know, it discourages people to, discourages people from stepping up and serving the church. It actually goes against the spirit of verse 1. Now, if we, if we truly see leadership as a beautiful work, then instead of criticizing and complaining, we, we will be giving strength. We will be nurturing, encouraging, and helping our leaders lead well. So, so we want to, as a church, we want to foster a culture of encouragement that nurtures, supports, and strengthens godly leadership. And not only that, we want to get, encourage a culture where we are looking out for godly men and women and we are encouraging them to be ambitious for the sake of God, ambitious in a godly way, to desire that beautiful work of calling, of, of, of shepherding, and caring for God's people. It, it is a beautiful work. And I want to encourage all of you, all of us, to think about stepping up to serve Christ in this way because it is a beautiful work. God calls us to serve His church. He calls us to serve one another. So I pray that God is calling us. I pray that God will call us to step up and serve. I pray that God will help us to encourage and support those who lead well for the good of His church. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we thank you for how you have given us the true shepherd, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have shepherded us well in your son. We pray that you would help us to love him. We pray that you would raise up godly elders and deacons in our midst. We pray even now that you'd be speaking to our hearts. There's some of us who are thinking about serving in these ways. Father, we pray that your spirit would convict us. We pray that your spirit would uh, open our hearts to you. Help us to desire this beautiful work that you have uh, entrusted to us for the good of your church. Father, we we do pray that you would give courage to those who lead. Help us to lead with the confidence that we are doing your work. Help us to be faithful in what we do. Father, we pray for more godly men, more godly women who would step up and serve you in these ways. We pray for us as a church that we would foster a culture of encouragement, a culture that nurtures and develops uh, godly leaders. We pray that you would help us to turn away from complaining and criticizing. Help us to not tear down, but instead to build up and to give strength to one another so that your church becomes the glorious bride it should be. Please remain standing for the benediction, reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12-13. to And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. May God help us to become a church that becomes more like Him, and may God give us the faith and courage to step up and serve Him in different offices in the church. Please be seated. You're dismissed after a moment of silent reflection. Have a great week ahead.